0: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Wednesday, December 6th. I'm Michael Gidry. in for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, declining revenue for the state could impact some leaders' legislative priorities for 2024. Then, Mississippi schools are seeing higher attendance rates than in recent years. Plus, it's been 90 years since the 21st Amendment was ratified, ending prohibition in the United States. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The amount of revenue the state of Mississippi is collecting is down, and some lawmakers are concerned about how it can complicate efforts to further cut income taxes. Speaking at a meeting of the Senate Appropriations Committee is Chris Graham, commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Revenue. He told the committee members that the state is collecting less tax revenue than it did last year.
4: From 2014 to 2018, we were kind of trucking along at about $5.5 billion that we were sending to the general fund each year. Uh, and in 2018, 2019, we're looking really good, and if you'll recall, 2020 was looking to be a banner year, uh, and then COVID hit, and so we had a slight dip in 2020. When we were thinking we were going to have a huge surplus, uh, March 2020 happened, and then a- April and May's collections were pretty bad, and so we we ended, year over year, we ended on a slight dip in 2020, and then you can see after 2020, the revenue collections just absolutely took off, and so we went from a little over 5.5 billion to almost 7.5 billion in roughly three fiscal years. It just really tremendous growth. And you can see by this curve. Now this, our chart didn't show up exactly like it would look like on the screen. So it's a little bit flatter, but the the revenue flattens out a little bit last year. And uh, I think the, the revenue estimating group anticipates revenue will be pretty flat next year. I know the joint legislative budget committee met and had some discussions about keeping the revenue estimate flat from year to year. And so we do think that, that things have slowed down a little bit as far as tax growth goes. Uh, and I think the, the ultimate question is, you know, what would that look like in, in fiscal year 2025? But you can see over the last three fiscal years, it's, we've, been, we've had pretty heavy growth uh, with general fund collections.
0: Graham says local municipalities are seeing record high revenues. He says one of the contributing factors to why Mississippi may see lower revenue next year is because many taxes are being redirected to local governments.
4: I can tell you the locals are getting more money than they have in the history of the state. The growth that has gone to the locals just in the growth on the sales tax diversion, the amount of money they're receiving is as high as it has ever been. And uh, every, every month when we release the, the numbers, you see an article or two from a local paper talking about how such and such municipality just hit a record on collections. And so the, the amount of money, when you count the sales tax diversions that you all have given them, and then you count the use tax diversions that they are now receiving, the amount of money going to the locals is a record. The uh I don't think it uses the word transportation in the law. I think it's uh I think it, it's broad enough to include infrastructure. So it would include water, sewer projects, and road projects as well. You all made a tweak to that last year. I think what the intent of the legislature was is to make sure that those funds are not being used to to fund things that aren't essential things. And so I could see why the legislature re- restricted those things to transportation infrastructure type projects, which when our municipalities uh, get themselves into trouble it seems to be they've got water sewer problems and then the local roads that they haven't paved as well
0: this is the first year that tax diversions are fully implemented additionally graham says the state may see a small loss in revenue as more people are buying a special blackout license plate the tags contribute to a fund for fallen officers and he says they have been very popular but the tax costs more to produce than it sells for and the Department of Revenue is expected to request deficit funding to help cover those extra costs. Coming up, Mississippi schools are seeing higher attendance rates than in, re- in recent years. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and AutoCorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. Want to keep up with MPB? Go to mpbonline.org, or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MPB Online.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Gidry. Fewer students are missing school in Mississippi compared to recent years, while national truancy rates have gone up. At 24% in the 2022-23 school year, the rate of chronically absent students in Mississippi fell roughly four points when compared to the previous year. That's according to the Mississippi Department of Education. Our Mike McEwen speaks with Amarita Till, Tell. uh, executive director of attendance enforcement and dropout prevention at MDE. She says every state faced a major attendance problem following the COVID-19 pandemic, but Mississippi has focused on outreach campaigns to help students in school.
5: Education is very important, and one of the mission of the Department of Education is for all scholars to be able to receive their appropriate education. And we all know that if students are not in school, they cannot provide, uh, be provided with education as well as the instructional strategy they need in order for them to be successful. So in Mississippi, we have a compulsory school attendance office where I'm housed, and we have a attendance uh, officer in the school districts as well. And so what we do, we work for school districts to ensure that students are in school. We work with uh, the judges in the area. Once a, a student has missed five days or more than the attendance officer within uh, a fine school district will Try to make contact with the parents or parents uh, of the scholar to ensure that they are in school to see what's going on. And the reasons might vary from one uh, student to the next. Some student might have a chronic illness or something else could be going on, but we must make contact with them to ensure that they're in school. We work very closely with the school districts as well to ensure that once we get the referrals that we are – making sure the students are back in school. So we send letters, we make phone calls, and we also meet with uh, some school districts, as well as talk to judges to see how can we uh, have a seamless system where students are able to uh, come back to school. Now, some of the numbers, as you know, with chronic absentee is you have students that have been suspended, students that have excuses as well, unexcused absence. So it's not just Students, is all students have missed uh, a lot of school days. So sometimes the num- that's one reason that the number is high. is because of that. So what we try to do is uh, preventive measures by contacting parents to make sure that they are aware that if students are not in school, they cannot receive the services. This past September, we asked all the school districts to make September a school attendance month where they made a concentrated effort on um, making sure that parents and students understood the importance of being in school.
2: And were there any specific programs that have been implemented by the Mississippi Department of Education to, you know, make parents aware of why their kids need ultimately to be in school? Are there any specific programs targeting that?
5: Well, when you say programs, we constantly make contact with parents. Personally, I have gone out to school districts where they had parent night. I have talked to I've talked to students in different schools. Um, the S.A.O. officer constantly are talking to parents as well as to students about the importance of take uh, staying in school. At the school level, uh, administrators are talking to parents as well as students about staying in school. Uh, we are currently working on um, trying to, training going for all all personnel. We had a meeting this summer uh, where we talked to all SAO officers and gave them strategies. I held a meeting with school superintendents as well as, as some judges across the state to talk about the importance of students being in school. How can we as a community the partner uh, from the Department of Education from the local school district level from all levels to make sure that parents know the importance of, of being in school so once we sit before the judge Of course, the judge provides information about the importance of being in school, school districts, as well as our school attendance officers. When we make contact with the parents, like I said, we make home visits. We uh, speak um, at meetings um, with parents, try to make sure they understand the importance of school. We send uh, letters to them asking them to make sure that their their students are in school.
2: 2016 was the first year that the Mississippi Department of Education uh, began reporting chronic absence data. And that's, I believe, 10% or more of absent days. And looking at that, the lowest rate was 13% in the 2018 to 2019 school year. It's just under 24% this year. Are there any factors you're aware of in your office that have led that rate to climb over the years?
5: We constantly are trying to improve. We look at the data to determine what we need to do, how can we utilize the data To help students, and so when you look at the data, and you have a pocket of high uh, chronic absenteeism, we spend more time trying to talk to those school districts and those parents in that area and those areas, so we can, you know, help to see what's going on. So those are one of the things, some of the things that we're doing. Uh, COVID was a factor, Uh, so we're still dealing with some of the residual factors from COVID, and so you know, COVID is still present. Uh, although the world is, is open, but COVID is still an issue. People are continuing to have COVID, uh, other chronic illness, that, uh, childhood diseases. So we try to look at all of that to make sure that we can address what's going on with students to meet them where they are.
2: Could you just tell me about the Every School Day Counts program that y'all launched recently?
5: We talked to school districts. We uh, purchased flyers, and uh, you went to our web uh, page. I'm sure that you saw where we did a, a flyer, posted it for two days a month. That's all it takes to be the absent. So as I stated earlier, we have constantly met with uh, superintendents as as our superintendent go around the state uh, as other leaders from the department go around the state and talk to different factions principals uh assistant principal counseling superintendent, they talk about the importance of being in school we talk about engaging students where they're they're engaged in the day to day activities and instruction because we know students must be engaged fully engaged to access education. And so we've made a conscious decision to talk to school district, to talk about from the state level how important it is uh, for a child to be in school, how it's important for teachers uh, to encourage students, counselors, even, you know, We want every staff within the school district. We want uh, the FAO officer, the school attendance officer. We want everybody talking about the importance of staying in school.
0: Amarita Tell is over attendance and enforcement, attendance enforcement and dropout prevention at the Mississippi Department of Education. Coming up, it's been 90 years since the 21st Amendment was ratified, ending prohibition in the United States. This is Mississippi
3: Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives, baking treats, curling up on the couch near the fireplace. MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and Autocorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. This week marks the 90th anniversary of the ending of Prohibition. The 18th Amendment had banned alcohol sales across the nation, sparking a new illegal alcohol trade. It was met with backlash from the public as organized crime surged. The 21st Amendment, ratified December 5, 1933, overturned Prohibition. Mississippi remained completely dry until 1966 when legislation allowed localities to begin to legalize alcohol sales once again. Shane Kyle is the Museum Division Deputy Director at the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. He was one of the organizers for Mississippi Distilled at the two Mississippi museums, a look at the relationship between Mississippi and alcohol.
1: Mississippi, uh, going back into the uh, at least the mid 19th century and, and forward, has always sort of had this uh, sort of unique and, and oftentimes tumultuous uh, relationship with alcohol. And one of the names that you may have heard or that, that people have often used for the state is the "the wettest dry state," uh, especially during our our prohibition phase. Um, what was unique in Mississippi was really the um, sort of the impact uh, that. Uh, temperance groups especially groups like the uh, uh, women's Christian Temperance Union had in the the late 19th century uh, folks like Francis Willard and, and uh, Bell Kearney uh, who were leaders in that movement worked with uh, church pastors and, and this is and this is um, not just unique to Mississippi it's all, all over the south as well uh, they had a large uh, influence especially working uh, with the churches um, and and they were focused on alcohol but also on um, supporting uh, Movements and other things. So, this kind of do everything uh, mentality was something that comes, you know, is a term used by Francis Wood in that movement, but supporting workers' rights, uh, fighting against domestic abuse, but also removing alcohol. And this is a movement that really gains traction um, in the sort of waning uh, days of the 19th century, so through the 1890s, and then really comes about um, nationally. Uh, Towards the end of World War One, uh, but specifically for Mississippi, it's gained a lot of traction earlier, and a full decade before national prohibition or the Eighteenth Amendment, which is ratified in early 1919. Uh, Mississippi has prohibited alcohol. You know, had its own statewide prohibition that goes into effect on January 1st, 1908. So essentially at that point, all, uh, Mississippi state liquor licenses are null and void, uh, and the state becomes a, a officially dry. And I'll use that term, uh, officially dry because the, the state was dry on paper and dry on legislation. Uh, but the uh, sort of illegal practices of moonshining and bootlegging became, uh, very prominent. So this idea of, uh, you know, sort of the folks going out, you know, in, in the woods or, uh, in areas that are, you know, fairly remote and making their own distilled liquors. And this is something that really comes about, you know, beginning that night 19- nineteen oh eight, you know, nineteen oh nine time period and then continues on uh, national prohibition, uh, what we're uh, talking about today, of course, is uh, repealed with the 21st Amendment on December 5th, 1933, uh, but that, uh, but that is not ratified by the state of Mississippi, and uh, actually the uh, statewide prohibition uh, will continue on for another 33 years, so all the way through June of 1966, by law, the sale of distilled liquors uh, in Mississippi is still illegal, uh, so a full uh, almost 60 years of, of statewide prohibitions.
0: So you mentioned that you know, Mississippi being the the wettest dry state during that time, and and despite having things on the books that that, that prohibited alcohol, what made Mississippi uh, in these communities um, like hotbeds for for participation in moonshine production and running?
1: I think a big thing is location. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of distilled liquor production uh, in surrounding states, especially in Louisiana. Uh, so liquor could. And any time that an item is prohibited, there's always sort of an increased demand uh, for that. So once it became illegal, there was, you know, immediately people who were out there, you know, trying to find it. Uh, So in the proximity to uh, places like, you know, Memphis, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, New Orleans, you know, sort of these – very metropolitan hubs where where alcohol was still legal, um, you know, and there were distilleries, uh, you know, provided this avenue, especially and through the river and, and the Gulf Coast. So, sort of these natural avenues of transportation, uh, close proximity, and and still this uh, still this demand for uh, alcohol in the state. So. Um, and that's something that, uh, continues on, uh, all the way through 1966. Uh, what's also unique is that, you know, by, by the time World War II comes around, so, uh, early 1940s, uh, the, the state realizes that, you know, they, they're, that this trade is still ongoing. Um, and they will actually start to put a tax on, uh, on this illegal liquor trade. So what's known or what becomes known as the black market tax. And this is a, I believe a 10% tax that's collected on the sale of, uh, revenue that are or, or on the sale of liquor, excuse me, that comes into the state. And that continues on all the way, you know, from the mid 1940s through 1966. And that's, uh, so that's essentially, uh, you know, Tax revenue coming in from an item that is uh, prohibited by law. So another thing that was unique to Mississippi uh, in that time period of prohibition, and something that ultimately led to uh, led to the uh, demise of the of the state prohibition in 1966.
0: And yeah, so that's where I wanted to go next. Um, we've said that Mississippi, despite the ratification of uh, the Twenty First Amendment, which ended prohibition, uh, remained dry in, in, until 1966. What was local legislation like um, during the, those thirty? Three years, um, because much like like a lot of issues, basically the the Twenty First Amendment, if I understand it correctly, just kind of punts the issue back to the states, allows them to make um you know state and local laws kind of regulating this thing. Um, what did the, what did it look like for those thirty three years from the state and local level as neighboring states uh, begin to either ratify or or, or change their local laws uh, to to allow alcohol sales? So so post nineteen thirty
1: three uh... within the state of mississippi the the local laws uh... Are essentially are the are, are remain unchanged the state is still officially dry where that comes about is once, or, or where there is some change in that is when the state does repeal uh, or end prohibition in 1966. Uh, they sort of default to a uh, what we call or what's referred to as local option. This essentially made the state dry by default, but it allowed uh, local municipalities, uh, cities and counties in the state to choose, uh, you know, through a vote, what their own liquor uh, laws would be. And this was in place until really just recently, I believe it was the summer of 2020, and Governor Tate Reeves signed a bill that went into effect in January 2021 that reversed this uh, and then made uh, essentially the state wet by default but still allowed local counties uh, and municipalities to uh, vote um, on whether or not they would go dry. So sort of we went from dry by default to wet by default.
0: And then finally, if you follow legislation there seems to always be some type of bill um that 's related to progressing the state 's attitudes towards towards alcohol I think this most recent legislative session there was was a bill that was passed that allowed sales on sunday um which was you know previously prohibited uh, at the state level so uh, kind of how as we as we 've gone into the twenty first century now how has that relationship changed based on the, how how it was in 1908?
1: Sure. So I I would say things are uh, are are vastly different uh, than they were in the 1908 time period. Uh, you know, b- based on some of the history, you know, there are still uh, there are still many different views on alcohol in the state. Uh, but I but I think it's a, a safe assumption to say that generally uh, the sale and can. And, of alcohol has been more normalized uh, especially with the uh, the bill we were, we were discussing there uh signed by Governor Reeves in 2020 that went into effect in 2021 so you know so we we've come i think a long ways you know the state has also seen uh growth uh you know by great uh, leaps in the you know having breweries and distilleries come in we have the you know Cathead Distillery here in Jackson we have you know, lazy magnolia on the coast, so we're starting to see sort of this you know, craft brewing and craft distilling really take hold uh, in Mississippi, which which is a great thing and something that you know uh, has been you know in our in our neighboring states for a while. So I, I would say you know it's safe to uh, safe to classify it as a, as a as a normalization you know definitely from that 1908 time period.
0: Well, Shane Kyle with the Mississippi Department of Archives and History, thank you so much for for looking back at Mississippi's relationship with alcohol as we recognize the. 90th anniversary of the ratification of the 21st Amendment. Sure. Great to be here, sir. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.